grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Let us pray. O God, our true life, to serve you is freedom, and to know you is unending joy. We worship you, we glorify you, we give thanks to you for your great glory. Abide with us, reign in us, and make this world into a fit habitation for your divine majesty. Through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. The first reading is from Jeremiah chapter 23, verses 1 through 6. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, says the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who shepherd my people. It is you who have scattered my flock and have driven them away, and you have not attended to them. So I will attend to you for your evil doings, says the Lord. Then I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the lands where I have driven them, and I will bring them back to their fold, and they shall be fruitful and multiply. I will raise up shepherds. I will raise up shepherds over them who will shepherd them, and they shall not fear any longer or be dismayed, nor shall any be missing, says the Lord. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely, and shall ex execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days Judah will be saved, and Israel will live in safety. And this is the name by which he will be called, the Lord is our righteousness. <clears throat> the word of the Lord. Be to God. <clears throat> Excuse me. The second lesson is from Colossians chapter 1, verses 11 through 20. May you be made strong with all the strength that comes from his glorious power. And may you be prepared to endure everything with patience while joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, please rise for the reading of the gospel. Today's gospel is from St. Luke's gospel, chapter 23, starting at verses 33. When they came to the place that is called the skull, they crucified Jesus there with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots to divide his clothing. And the people stood by, watching. But the leaders scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he is the Messiah of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged there, kept deriding Jesus and saying, Are you not the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed have been condemned justly, for we are getting what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He replied, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. All right, you all may be seated, and I'll invite all the little Lutherans, as we say. Up after this, after this. Okay. Oops. Nope. 
Janine will bring them up. Okay, so I bet everybody knows the answer to this question. What's happening this week? Okay, don't be scared, everybody. Okay. <laughs> Thanksgiving, yes, and we're going to Grandpa and Nona's, and somebody else said Thanksgiving. Okay, cool. Um, so do any of you guys, I know we don't in our family, but do any of you guys do the thing where before Thanksgiving meal, you, everybody goes around the table and says something that they're thankful for? A lot of families do that. It's kind of nice. What about us? What about us? We, we don't. You know, I, I don't know. It's just never been any, something that we did in our family. But we go to church on the morning in Thanksgiving and um, give, kind of remind ourselves of what we're thankful for there. Um, so what, uh, I don't know, think about what kinds of things are you thankful for? Yes? My family? Toys. Family? Toys? Anything? Huh? You don't want to say it? No, that's okay. Just Friends and food. Nice. Nice. All right. Well, um, <clears throat> hold on a second. Okay. Uh, when uh, we don't want to forget to, I mean, yeah, the friends, food, family, toys, that's all the stuff that, you know, we think about every day, right? And stuff that we run into every day. Um, and when we come to church on Sundays, we learn about even more stuff to be thankful for, right? Right? Like, what kinds of stuff do we learn about in church? I don't know. Jesus? Jesus, yes. Mm-hmm. And God, yeah. Yeah, we know that God always loves us, right? God always gives us strength. God helps us love other people. God gives us everything that we have in life. We have to remember to thank God, too, not just to feel thankful for the stuff we like, but to thank God all the time. Now, in the taking, home, taking faith home thing that we've been talking about, every week there's this scripture verse for the week. Okay, This week it's kind of long. Sometimes they're short enough that you could memorize them during the week. That'd be cool. Um, but the one this week is from the reading um, from the book of Colossians, and it says, May you be made strong with all the strength that comes from his glorious power, And may you be prepared to endure everything with patience while joyfully giving thanks to the Father. And who do you think the Father is that they're talking about? God. God, God, Jesus. Exactly. Okay. So this is saying, you know, not just giving thanks when we're happy and when we think about it, but also in some of our dark times, we can always find something to be thankful for. And one of the things we can always be thankful for, even when it seems like things are going badly, is that we know that God is always with us. Right? Okay. Okay. Um, So I'm going to go ahead and we'll close with the prayer for the week. Ready? Lord Jesus, help us to give thanks for your reign and forgive us as we have been forgiven. Amen. Well, we don't need a sermon. Well, now you understand why uh, I made sure I married Rachel. Two weeks now, right? No. Uh, Note to you. This is the second time I've been stuck on that hill in a Prius. Don't buy Priuses anymore. This year. So, very frustrating. Thanks to Eric Sadison, he came and pushed me off. You all know Eric, right? Yeah. So, anyway, thank you. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we ask you that as we receive this replenishing rain, or snow and the renewal that comes with it and the purity that it that's within it we ask you to make us also renewed and pure in the way that you can we ask you that the words that are spoken the words that will be heard today has that same power to renew our minds to keep us faithful and focused on you so that we can continue to live the life you've given us and proclaim your gospel of love to the community and to the world that often is not so pure, but is lost and in darkness. In your name we pray. Amen. So today is uh, Christ the King Sunday. And uh, when you think of Christ the King, or when you think of Christ, do you think of him as king? You probably do, because that's, uh, that's uh, you've been going to church for a while, so that's been part of it. But today also marks the end of the calendar for the church. So who's going to stay up late tonight and and celebrate the new year. Bob, are you going to do it on you? Come on, no. Uh, you know, we have gone through a whole year 
And what's fascinating, when you really look at the study, the, the calendar, the church calendar, especially the lectionary, the readings that are assigned to each Sunday, the first half of the year is all about Jesus. So if you go from Advent, first Sunday in Advent all the way to Pentecost, it's all about Jesus. Most of the texts, in fact all the texts, is centrally focused on Christ. But then when you go to the second half of the year from Pentecost, from the Sunday of Holy Trinity, until today, it's all about God's people. And so you can see the significance of that, um, the relationship between God and his people is played out even in our church calendar. But the question I have for you is, how has this year helped you to understand Christ? That's the question I asked this week. Has it gone through yet another year? How has my understanding of Christ differ or improved or changed or altered in some way? Has it? Has it become richer? Or has it become something else? Is it more challenging for you now? Or is it something much more, um, much more um, refined? That's the question I want to ask you, and I want you to chew on that as we go on together in our new year. Is that it's not just, we can come each Sunday, but each Sunday is part of a larger story. And this story, when we pay attention to it all through the year, it really gives us a full, a full picture of not just Christ, but of the entire relationship that God has with his creation and all the people and every living thing within it. And so it's a very rich, I think, set of readings. And if you, I would love it if you go to the ELCA website and go to the worship section and just read through all the texts that you can for each Sunday, you know, in as many, um, as many as you can. And I think you will see that there is an ebb and flow to this story and there is this, um, and, and the covenant of Christ just weaves through even more uh, visibly when you read it all together. And so we come to the end of this year, of this calendar year. We have now this amazing um, conclusion where Christ, we are reminded that Christ is the king. And really this day was started back in the 1920s when Pope, you know, Charlie the 39th or whatever, um, um, realized that he had to figure out how to go against the rising nationalism that was rampant all through Europe. This is the same nationalism that gave us the great names like Mussolini and Hitler. But if those are the two names that you're familiar with, but there were other names like Clement Coe and a few others that were also revving people up all through Europe and into, the, uh, into this national fervor. And people were forgetting about the church. And in fact, if you, can, if you go to Europe today, Europe, is, uh, Europe Christianity is pretty much dead. My father-in-law went to Sweden a couple years ago, and he said it was fascinating where they have these huge congregations or buildings, but it's mostly empty. And, and it would started, they think, around then, where nationalism kind of took, replaced Christianity or religion to be kind of the main focus of, of people's lives then. They looked to the nation, they looked to the people, I mean to the leaders, to give them the, the sense of purpose and, and definition that uh, the church for some reason wasn't able to give them at the time. And so that's how this day came about. And I find it fascinating that this day is always relevant in every time and place. Because regardless of how you see things, we're always, um, we're always struggling between, um, between our identity as Christians and our identity as a particular type of individual, whether it's American or Pennsylvanians or a Vikings fan, you see what I mean? And what I hear all the time now is that we become more tribal. We identify to a smaller and smaller group of people and less and less about a larger group. It used to be that we were a much large, we saw ourselves in a much larger group of people, but we're not anymore. We're much more exclusive in how we see ourselves. And much, and we are dividing ourselves more and more. Because they give us, or this particular tribe that we claim to be in, give us more and more definition. And in many ways, that's fine. But what I want to focus on, though, is the idea of Jesus as king. And how it reverts, how, how it 
revolves, I mean, how, how would it make sense today? Because when, when Christ was born, when you look at Christ's story, let's be honest, this is a story of a boy who was born in like the lowliest state you can imagine. He was born in a cave, some say, or a stable inside of a cave, and he had no uh, wealth. He was, his parents were so poor, they couldn't even get a reservation. They, he was laid in a manger, an eating trough. And there, that's where, he vis, uh, that's where he started life. And who were the people that initially visited him? The lowliest of the poor, which were the shepherds, who were not welcomed inside the cities and towns. They were out there. When you look at Jesus in the earthly sense, everything about him should not give you any sort of excitement, any sort of future promise, any sort of respect for this boy, because there was nothing to, um, that he would ever need from you because there, he wasn't going to amount to anything. And so this is the boy that would end up one day being, the, uh, being the, the God that we would all worship and the head of the largest religion in the world. This is the one boy that people would give, lives, give up their lives for. This is the one boy where people would live and dedicate their entire lives to his studying his words and so forth. And churches and congregations and money are spent building grand edifices in his name. This is the one boy, when you really look at it, is really, in many ways, a big-time joke. And what's fascinating is when you really read the Gospel texts, the Matthew Christmas story and the Lucan Christmas story, what you see is that these two texts takes this little humble birth and, and put it up against the power of Rome. And you don't, you know, I don't know what you know about Rome at the time, but it was obvious you know that it was the most powerful entity in all the world. It had the largest army. It was the wealthiest empire up until that point. It had everything going its way. And the way that it kept peace, the term that they used was Pax Romana, peace of Rome, was through might and through tactics and through fear. How they kept the peace was to remind you that they could do anything they want to you at any given time. And they oppressed the people left and right. And they did everything they could to make sure that people were daily reminded that they were living at the mercy of the emperor. And, and so, people have asked me in Bible studies, why is it that Jesus was born in, 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 um, in Bethlehem, in Israel, of all the places? Why not like in, you know, Germany or France or China? And if you really study that, the, the, the economics and the politics of the area, it totally makes sense that he should be born in Israel because the Romans were anti-Semites in every way possible. They hated everything that the Jews stood for. And Israel was known as the backwater of the Roman Empire. To be sent there as a Roman person was like going to Siberia or North Dakota. I'm sorry, I'm from Minnesota. And, uh, and, and so to go to Israel was to be disregarded as you were kind of being asked to leave, but they weren't going to force you out. They're going to wait until you get the hint. And so all the wealth and power that the Roman Empire had did not show up in Israel. They were literally the poorest province of all the Roman Empire. It was there that they sent all the people that they didn't like it was there that all the Roman generals and, and power people that wanted to have power, they gave them power by saying, go, go to Israel. So when you read guys like Pontius Pilate, he was not in favor, in good favor with the emperor because he was in Israel. You can almost pretty bet your bottom dollar on it. So when you read the stories of Jesus' crucifixion and all the names that go along with it, like Caiaphas, Pontius Pilate, Ananias, you know that those guys somehow had a falling out with, with the emperor, or at least with the bureaucracy around the emperor. And so they ended up being in Israel. I'm trying to impress upon how poor Israel was because of the anti-Semitism, but the total disrespect and lack of, um, of um, respect for the entire land that was Israel at the time. 
And so there, in the most humblest place of all the Roman Empire, the poorest place, is born a boy that was just even poorer. So if there's any place that you want to be born to have the least, the lowest station in life, it should be Israel. And so it is in Israel that the story of Christ takes off. And it is, if you read the two gospel stories, what you find out is that they start telling the story in the way that is very amazing, very ingenious. What they want to get the message across when you really read the gospel text is that Christ was the king, but not the king in the earthly way. When we think of kings, we think of political kings, right? Guys who have military, who have political power in ways we will never, ever imagine having. Even more powerful than the presidents of the United States over their people, they didn't have a Congress to deal with. They, what they said, went. They had ultimate authority over everything. That's a king. And, and the emperor, meaning king, was the most powerful man in all the known Western world at the time. Think about that. And so comes Jesus. And Jesus offers nothing. But when we think of this king, he offered everything that you would ever want. Your life depended on Emperor Augustus at the time, but not Jesus. I mean, you could just go on and live and not worry about this little boy down in Bethlehem in the backwaters of the Roman Empire because he offered nothing. In the, in the earthly understanding, Jesus offers nothing. But what's fascinating is then the question you should ask is why is it that Jesus continues to be the focus and not Emperor Augustus? We think of Emperor Augustus only in history class or we're reading, about the, reading a book about the Roman Empire or something about the early Christians. But we don't say a creed to Emperor Augustus. We don't, we don't even revere any king today. We know some kings who have made it through history, like Emperor Ivan the Terrible for his horribleness. We know of certain kings throughout history because of their absolute ruthlessness or maybe benevolence like King Wenceslas. But really we don't focus on them like we do this humble boy. So what happened? Well, the reality is that kings, earthly kings, are temporal. They're only here in the moment and we only worry about them while they have power. And when they disappear from the earth, we stop worrying about them. We stop thinking about them. They offer nothing for us internally. We are people that are built up through spirituality. We are people that are made up of emotions, of relationships, and kings rarely offer that for us. Our lives are not enriched by the power that they have. In fact, it's hurt. We are hurt by the power that they amass. Our lives is not made more meaningful by our relationship with some far-off king living in a castle or a beautiful home, but instead by the relationships we have with people. And the difference between a king and Christ, and the reason why we worship Christ and build buildings in his honor and come every Sunday morning to worship him and, and study his word throughout the week is because he offers us something that no king can ever dream of. And we have studied about emperors and rulers that have tried to be that way. When you read about the pop propaganda of Mao Zedong, that guy wanted to be God. When you read about Augustus, he became known as the savior. That was one of his titles. He wanted to be God. But at the end of the day, they're just temporal kings. They're just humans. And this king, this Christ that we worship, gives us something that is so critical to us. I find that in my almost 18 years of ministry, that the people, when they come to me for, um, uh, for pastoral counseling, don't ever come, rarely, because they're, they're wealthy or not wealthy, because of something that is external or, or um, temporal. They're coming because they're lacking meaning in their lives. They're coming because they don't have deep relationships with either their family, their friends, their spouses, or somebody else. Rarely do I have people struggling for their worth or their identity based on a lot of external stuff. It's really about their relationship with people that matters mostly to people. There are some that counts their 
whether they're wealthy or not as being important. But for the most part, people are, 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 they struggle when they do struggle because of their relationships with one another, because of the relationship they have with Christ and beyond. And so what I find in our understanding between king and Christ is that Christ is king because he offers something so much deeper, so much more meaningful than any king can. And that Pope, Pope Leo, I can't remember his number, realized that we can have nationalism, we can have great leaders, and we should re respect the leaders that bring us some meaning in our understanding of who we are. But what he also understands is that they are just momentary. They are earthly. They don't offer much beyond their moment that they have power. But Christ, who has endured all these years as, as not only a God, but who offers us meaning, who offers us vision of life to come, who offers us a way in which we relate to one another to connect and unify us as people, that's the God that ought to win the message, ought to win the day. And so he created this in the 1920s to say, you can have all your nationalism, but at the end of the day, that's temporal. And the thing that matters most is this Christ, is this humble God. And so I find that message is always worthwhile remembering. I, because all through the 1930s and the 40s, people struggling, struggled with what it meant to be a Christian and, meant, and struggled with what it meant to be a German or an Italian and in the United States even as an American. And as, and as we go through history, we struggle with that even today. There are some issues for some people. Well, what does it mean to be an American today? And what does it mean to be a Christian? And I see that as being part of this initial understanding of Christ the King Sunday. And so I, it's always important that we should always take time in our lives to really recenter ourselves to understand that we are more than just a, an American or a you know, German or whatever, but that we are first and foremost Christians and that we are part of a larger tribe of people. We are part of this tribe that's called the priesthood of all believers, who Christ has called us to be about the community, to be about the people in our midst, regardless of whether they're Jewish or Cambodian or Argentinian, regardless of whether they're wealthy and living on Wall Street or should work on Wall Street, or whether they're down under a bridge. We are called to be that type of individuals as people, as part of the clouds of witnesses, as part of the Christian community that is worldwide. I love the one line that Rick Warren, and I've shared this with you before, but Rick Warren, who wrote the Purpose Driven Life book, he said, the future of the church depends on the local government and its members. And I believe that if we begin to see that our calling is to the community and not to a particular tribe or to a particular identity other than being Christians, then we begin to be a force for good and agents for the positive changes that we need in our community. If we start to see ourselves not as part of a national tribe or a political group or what state you're from, though it's fun doing sports time, it, if we just focus on being part of the larger community of Christ, I think so much of the ills that we read about, that we hear about, starts to dissipate and we begin to see that the light of Christ starts to sh shine through each and every one of us. Because at baptism, when we are baptized, we are we, our parents make promises for us, which we confirm later at confirmation, in which we say that we will strive for justice in the name of Christ, that we will strive to proclaim the words of Christ, that we will engage people through the breaking of the bread and through the relationships that Christ has shown us. When we do that, Christ becomes then the king of not only in our lives, but of the people around us. And when Christ becomes the king of everyone, he becomes the king of the world. And that's really the point of this day. And so today's gospel text, bring us back to the gospel text. Christ died for us. That's a given. We know that. But at the last minute, the guy that least deserved it 
The bandit on the cross, the word bandit in, in Hebrew means, meant covering everything that's horrible, that acts of violence. He probably was a murderer, a revolutionary, a, a guy that just was a total curse to everyone that knew him. This is the guy that hung next to Jesus, and he saw that his life has gone way astray. And Christ hadn't done anything to deserve it. And there he dies, and we know he dies for us. But he also dies for the least of these and for the most undeserving of us. And when we start to see people around us, whether they're sitting in prison or sitting in a mansion as being part of Christ's people, I think Christ becomes the king of our communities and Christ becomes the world. And so the challenge for us, but I hope that you will take upon that challenge, is not just to take this year to think about what being a Christian has meant over this last year, but also to see how we can explore sharing that with others so that Christ becomes not only the visible king of our lives, but the visible king of our community. Let that be our challenge. Let that be the hope, the light that the world see, not only in, in us individually, but here in the community. I am convinced once we start adopting that, we become the center of so much hope in the community and in the communities that often is lost. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we're so grateful that you continue to call us to be your witnesses, to be your hands and feet. Lord, help us now to also continue to be your source of hope and life. Help us, Lord, first of all, to make you always the center of our lives, the king of everything we do, so that the words we share, the actions that we take, may reveal your life, your glory, your truth to others who see us. May your light shine upon us so that others who walk in darkness may see your glory and may see you as king of all, the, the holder of life, of salvation, hope, and love. In your name we pray. Amen. Please rest. Let us confess our faith with the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. United with the saints of every time and place, let us pray for the church, those in need, and all of God's creation. Lord, help us to be mindful always that you are the king of our lives, that you call and beckon us to service and to serve those who are in need. Help us to be, to be aware and not be blind to the hurts and needs of the world around us, to those who are seeking answers and purpose and meaning. Help us, Lord, to be your hands and feet in every way possible, whether it's our, our, at our workplaces or at home or in our communities. Lord, we lift up to you all those who spend their lives serving your people, regardless of who they are. Lord, we lift up to you those who serve behind closed doors that we cannot see, caregivers and nurses. We lift up to you, Lord, those who dedicate their lives to improve our society, to be the voice of, of those who don't have vo voices, to speak truth to power in a world that often doesn't tolerate much of that. Lord, we help we ask you, Lord, to help those who find ways to bring your gospel truth to our people, to the community in which we live. Help us to be their assistants and to be their supporters. 
Lord, we lift up to you all those who have dedicated their lives to serving us through political means. As they make decisions, whether it's in Washington or in the local offices, that they do so according to your will, that they seek your wisdom, that they know that you are the king of their lives, so that they make decisions that is for the benefit of your people, not for a particular group. Lord, we lift up to you this congregation as we continue to seek ways to serve your people in this congregation and in the community. Help us to always be mindful that you are the king of this community, of this faith community, and that what we do and what we say reverberates to all those out in the community. Let our words, let our actions, let our ministries give hope, give life, give meaning, and give shelter to those who are battered by the storms of life. Lord, we lift up to you those who are constantly um, recovering from various illnesses or in momentary um, sickness. We lift up to you those who are special and important in our personal lives who are struggling with various physical ailments. But mostly, Lord, we lift up to you all those who continue to, to recover from various illnesses. On this day, Lord, we lift up to you Eileen, Herman, Bruce, Natalie, Holda, John, Eileen, Ray, Robert, and Letha, Roger, Wilbur, Shirley, Randy, Ed, Joanne, Edna, Thelma, Cindy, Carl, and Carol. We also lift up to you our neighbors, the Ulmers, whose Claire passed unexpectedly this last day night. We lift up to you our neighbor Ray as he celebrates his birthday and anyone else that are measuring their lives in various ways, who is going through milestones in, in, in various forms, help them to know that we pray for them, but that your will is, is done in their lives. Lord, we continue to lift up to you every member of this congregation that we in our own ways continue to keep focus upon you Focus upon the ministry that you've given us so that together we can be a force of change and a, and a shelter of hope. Lord, we lift this and all the other prayers, trusting in your mercy through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Please rise. Let us pray together the offertory prayer. God, our creator, you give us all we are, all we have, all we bring, and all we need. Draw us together around your table with all your saints on earth and in your eternal home. Let us eat and drink your promise of new life that we might be your promise to the world. Spoken in Jesus' name, amen. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give thanks. It is truly good, right, and salutary that we should at all times and in all places give thanks to you, O Lord, 
Holy Father, almighty and everlasting God, for you have proclaimed an eternal gospel to all who dwell on earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. For this gospel, centered in Jesus Christ, we give you glory and we worship you, who made heaven and earth. Therefore, with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven, we laud and magnify your glorious name, evermore praising you and saying, Be holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full your glory, Hosanna. Holy God, holy and mighty, holy and immortal, you we praise and glorify. You we worship and adore. You formed the earth from chaos. You encircled the globe with air. You created fire for warmth and light. You nourished the lands with water. You molded us in your image and with mercy higher than the mountains, with grace deeper than the seas, you blessed the Israelites and cherished them as your own. That also we, estranged and dying, might be adopted to live in your spirit. You called us through the life and death of Jesus. In the night in which he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body, given for you. Do this for the remembrance of me. Again, after supper, he took the cup, gave thanks, gave it for all to drink, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, shed for you and for all people, for the forgiveness of sins. Do this for the remembrance of me. Together, as the body of Christ, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. With this bread and cup, we remember your son, the firstborn of your new creation. We remember his life lived for others, his death and resurrection, which renews the face of the earth. We await his coming when, with the wor world made perfect through your wisdom, all our sins and sorrows will be no more. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Holy God, holy and merciful one, holy and compassionate, send upon us and this meal your Holy Spirit, whose breath revives us for life, whose fire rouses us to love. Enfold in your arms all who share this holy food. Nurture in us the fruits of the Spirit, that we may be a living tree, sharing your bounty with all the world. Come, amen. Come, Holy Spirit. Holy and benevolent God, receive our praises and petitions as Jesus received the cries of the needy and fill us with your blessing until needy no longer and bound to you in love. We feast forever in the triumph of the Lamb through whom all glory and honor is yours. O God, O living one, with your Holy Spirit in your holy church now and forever. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. God keeps adding places to the table. Come to the banquet that has no end. You may be seated.
May the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ strengthen you and keep you always in his name. Amen. Let us pray. We thank you, God, our host, for inviting us here to taste the future when you will feed all the hungry at your table. Keep this hope alive in us and in our communities so that we might bring hope to a suffering world in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Now let us receive the benediction. Signed and sealed by the Holy Spirit, you are Christ's message of love for this troubled world, written by the same sender. May our Lord Jesus Christ and God our Father, who loved us and through grace gave us eternal comfort and good hope, comfort your heart and strengthen them in every good work and word. Amen. Go in peace, set your hope on Christ. Thanks be to God. Our closing hymn is number 170. Peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you always. Let us share that peace with one another as we head out into the mission fields. <laughs>